Microphone check one two one two. Microphone check one two. Doom doom doom. Microphone check one two one two. Microphone check one two. Hi baby. Hello 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 beautiful people. This is Yvonne Onakama Atagana and this is the Nigerian Dyke Realness Podcast. Um, hope you're doing amazing where you are. Hope you're having a beautiful day. lot about what it costs to be honest about abuse. I think a lot about it because I think people don't really talk about that aspect. You know, there's this idea like in the public imagination when people talk about abuse, um, if they're talking about abuse in a romantic relationship, the conversation knows it, the conversation is either you need to pick better partners or you need to leave if you find yourself in an abusive relationship. The conversations, I think, when we talk about abuse publicly on social media, you know, um, even in films and things, most of the time it's so oversimplified. There's a good guy, there's a bad guy, there's, there's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to leave, you're supposed to go to the authorities, you know, there's a route that you're supposed to take. You know, you're supposed to do certain things to be the quote unquote perfect victim. You're supposed to behave perfectly if you're a survivor of abuse or a victim of abuse. That's how people know um, to be compassionate to you and empathetic to your experience. Typically, if somebody is an unlikely victim, whatever that means, or they don't behave in a way that people find sympathetic you know, maybe if they are a drug user or if they're a sex worker or if um, they're perceived as or are promiscuous, like they fuck a lot. I don't even know. I feel like the term promiscuous is so problematic because what's wrong with fucking a lot? <laughs> That's your choice. Like, why are you like, I mean, it definitely can be a symptom of like, it can be a call for help when people are having a lot of sex, right? Or engaging in a lot of sexual activity. But there are people who just genuinely engage engage in a lot of sex. Like, they just fuck a lot. It doesn't even mean there's anything wrong. So the, the word promiscuous is already problematic. But in any case, there are certain people who, based on whatever value we place on their behavior, their characteristics, you know, who they are or who we define them to be in our own from our own perception, people can be seen as good victims, bad victims, believable victims, uh, the perfect victim, an unlikely victim, whatever, you know? And so I, I just think it's interesting and it's it's heartbreaking that, you know, there's this expectation of behavior for people who survive abuse. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to say this. You're supposed to behave a particular way. You're supposed to be very, very sad and very, very broken up and very, very tearful. You're supposed to show grief in a particular way, heartache in a particular way. If you're somebody who is neurodiverse or neurodivergent, maybe you're, you know, you're autistic, you have ADHD, you have just some just a different way of showing your emotions to the world. You just show your emotions differently for whatever reason. And people feel as if, well, you said that you're a survivor of this incredible violence, but the way that you're reacting doesn't make sense to me. Like people will judge victims of abuse based on they don't feel like they're sad enough. They don't feel like they're crying enough. They don't feel like they're showing quote unquote typical emotions, but every single person is different. 
everybody responds to what they've gone through in this life differently. And somebody responding in a way that you can't understand doesn't make them any less of a victim, you know? So I, I think about these things a lot, you know? I think about them a lot. And I think about what it means not only to survive abuse, not only not only to be a victim of abuse, survive abuse, deal with abuse, witness abuse, but so what happens if there's abuse that happens in your family? What happens if it happens to someone else? What happens if it happens to you? What ha- like what's what happens? Is there a family meeting? Is the abuser dealt with? Is are there consequences? Do people take this this matter to the authorities? Is there some kind of punishment? Is there some kind of restitution, transformative justice. What happens? What happens? Is there an excuse that's made for that person? You're supposed to brush it, like brush it aside, sweep it under the rug. Because a lot of people, there's abusers in their families. Everybody knows that that person is an abuser. And still every holiday, that abuser is there at the Christmas table at the Christmas dinner table, they're there for Easter, they're there for whatever, family holidays, birthday celebrations, weddings, funerals, and nobody even wants to talk about what happened, right? So I was on Twitter a while ago, and I saw someone write, you're not the black sheep of the family, you're the unicorn of the family, right? You're special. And I think that a lot of people become unicorns or black sheep, however you want to articulate it, in their families, because they speak out about abuse and the rest of their family didn't support them in speaking that truth. Do you know what I mean? Like my understanding of what a black sheep is when you're talking about a family, right? The black sheep of the family, right? When people say that, how I understand it is what they're saying is they're basically saying in a sea of white sheep, I'm black. I stand out. I'm different than everybody else. They're all one particular way and I'm my way, right? And I think that the term black sheep isn't just about, oh, you're different. There's like a judgment there because the way that we look at the word black, the word black is often a negative thing. Even when you're not like, it's just... God, it's just so deep. I don't know what it's called, but like in my, from my own head, like the, what I, how I would articulate it would be linguistic racism, you know, because the way that we talk about blackness, it's always negative. Oh, it's a dark day in history. Oh, a black mark on your record. Oh, like having dark thoughts, even with spirituality, you know, when people say, oh, a dark night of the soul, that means you're going through like maybe the worst shit of your life. Like, there's a lot in the popular imagination looking at black, black, the color black as negative, as problematic, as indicative of um, pain, grief, uh, a problem, being othered, being different, right? And a lot of the times when people will always, it's a dark day in history, you know, oh, these are dark times, you know, like, oh, the dark ages, like, oh, the dark continent, like every single way that you can use dark or black, you know, in language, a lot of these sayings and uh, I don't know, idioms or whatever the fuck, when you're talking about the color black, there's negativity there. And I don't think that you can divorce that 
from racism, from this idea that black people are a problem, which honestly I think stems from a deep fear of the genius of blackness because for literal, literally for centuries, black people have been targeted fucking relentlessly, whether it's like the transatlantic, the transatlantic slave trade, or it's the, the robbing and the depletion and the, the robbing of, of resources from Nigeria, I'm saying Nigeria, from Africa. I'm thinking about oil in the Delta region. Ah, Jesus Christ, they paid me. Um, there's, God, the reason why skin bleaching is so incredibly popular, unfortunately, in Nigeria has to do with racism, has to do with this global freaking like global racist concept that, first of all, race exists, that human beings are categorized into racial categories based on how they look and where they're from. Right. Um, And then two, that black people are at the bottom of that hierarchy of race. Um, this is something that we can't divorce from language because the, the concept of a black sheep is not just about, oh, you're the black sheep of your family. Oh, you're just different. No, it's like, you're considered the fuck up of the family. You're considered different. You're considered the person who won't go along to get along. The person who is probably seen as, or perceived as, or defined as annoying because they refuse to just do what everybody else is doing. They're the black sheep of the family, right? So to say that a black sheep is a unicorn, like, no, say unicorn instead. I understand. Like, it's cool. Like, however you want to articulate who you are in your family is your business, you know? But I'm just saying that I feel like the reason why somebody would even want to say, no, call yourself a unicorn or you're a unicorn is because of the negative connotation of what it is to be a black sheep. I think you can take pride in it and say, yeah, fuck it. I'm the black sheep of the family. But a lot of the ways that people actually define black sheep are negative, right? Um, And unicorn is almost always like, positive like who is who is gonna use unicorn in a negative way so I completely feel that person being like nah you're you're a unicorn you're not a black sheep right like I totally feel that energy and trying to like shift that like and this is my perception of of why that person said that it was like giving people an alternative to how to identify if they feel like they've been like othered in their families right which honestly well done <laughs> um So in any case, you know, it costs, there's a price, you know, to saying I've seen abuse in my family and I'm not going to stand for it. And it's problematic. And oftentimes the cost of that is that you just lose your family. You lose those relationships, you lose those, um, those connections or rather they lose you. I mean, it's really depends on how you look at it because an abuse apologist, like if you, if you're the black sheep of the family and you've quote unquote lost family members who are abuse apologists, like, is that really a loss? Is that not a gain? Do you know what I mean? You've gained the fucking awareness that this person is a piece of shit and family are not. If they're going to excuse abuse, they shouldn't be in your life, you know? Um, and I think that when we talk about abuse, we talk about being the survivor or being a victim of abuse. We talk about abuse dynamics. You talk about okay, was this person a narcissist? Like, is this person, like, were they violent? Was it verbal abuse, emotional abuse, financial abuse? There's, like, so many different ways that people can be abused. There's, like, abuse 
um, between siblings. You know, there's abuse um, from parents to kids. There's elder abuse where, where elderly people who are vulnerable are being abused. There's um, physical abuse. There's all kinds of abuse, right? So many different kinds of abuse um, that can occur in different kinds of relationships, whether it's familial, work, school, um, etc. And I don't know, I guess I just think about the silent costs of all of those things. Like, what does it take to be that person that says, for instance, like maybe your family is dysfunctional <laughs> when it comes to communication. Like, um, if somebody has an issue, it's just shouting and shouting and screaming and screaming, or maybe, maybe people do silent treatment, or maybe people are physically violent. And you you might be the person in your family who's like, wow, this is hella fucking toxic. Could we not do this? Can we just sit down and have a conversation if we have a difference of opinion or if somebody's feelings are hurt or whatever? You might be seen as the fucking weirdo. <laughs> you might end up being a black sheep in your family because you really are doing your best to eliminate toxicity from your life, right? And so what do you do in that situation? And I feel like this is where chosen family is such a big deal. Like the family you choose and create is such a big deal because it's not always going to be healthy for you to remain in your family unit, depending on what's fucking going on there. And this is something I had to learn personally because I don't tolerate abuse. I don't think that it's excusable. I don't think that people have the right to harm other people without consequence. And I think that in a family setting, if you see that something has happened that is wrong. You need to address it. You need to correct it. And it needs to be corrected out in the open so that it's clear that this is not acceptable in this family. We don't do that shit here. And I, as somebody who has said that, (laughs) been that person in the family, I realized that I was one of very few. And there was a time when I was the only person in the room who felt that way. Do you know what I mean? To the degree that I felt it, because sometimes people will be like, yeah, abuse is wrong. Right. But that's as far as it goes. It's just lip service. Like they will encourage you to forgive the unforgivable for the sake of quote unquote peace of the family, or that's your blood, that's your family. And to me, it's like, it's not the survivor of abuse or the victim of abuse. It's no one's job to remember, like in the case of abuse in a family setting, a lot of what happens. And I feel like this happens a lot in Nigeria. Um, I think this happens a lot in a lot of spaces, but in a lot of places, but I'm going to talk about Nigeria right now because I'm Nigerian. That's what I feel like focusing on. Um, I feel like forgiveness is like weaponized in Nigeria when it comes to abuse. Like in the situation of like a marriage or a family, people will say, oh, that's your husband. You need to forgive him. Or, oh, that's your family member. That's your blood. You need to forgive them. And I just, it's such a level of guilt and it's so toxic and it's just so you're gaslighting somebody. Why does the person who's a victim of abuse need to be reminded that like the person who abused them is their family member? I think that they're acutely aware of that. I feel like the person that needs to be reminded that they're a family member is the person that abused their own family. The person that needs to remember that they, you know, are committed to a marriage (laughs) is the, is the person that like abused their spouse. You know, there's this guilt that's placed on you know, victims of abuse in certain relation in relationships, in certain relationships, whether it's familial or, or, or romantic or what have you, where it's like, no, this is your family, this is your, this is your, um, your spouse, this is your whatever. You know, this this relationship matters. Like, you can't fuck it up, you can't break it, you can't just walk away. These are the kinds of ways that people are forced 
and coerced to remain in deeply toxic and unhealthy fucking spaces. And to go against that grain, it takes a lot. You know, I, I, I've been seeing a lot and reading a lot, um, about people saying these things. Um, not, how can I say this? I've just in the last few years, I feel like this concept of, um, breaking generational curses has become incredibly, incredibly prevalent. People, people talk about it all the time. I'm breaking generational curses. This person is breaking generational curses. I'm breaking generational curses. This, this, this generational curses. And I always just feel like, wow, you don't find that stressful to have that on your shoulders, that you're breaking generational, that you're breaking generational curses. And I think that on the one hand, it's an interesting idea and it's a beautiful idea to say, What's happening in my family? There's certain things I don't like, and I'm going to change that dynamic. I'm going to make sure I'm different. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that taking it to the level of saying I am breaking generational curses, the way that it's often spoken about is such a, the subject of of, of a sentence like that is usually I. It's usually seen as one person. And I feel like the person who's seen to be breaking generational curses and the person who's seen as the fucking black sheep of the family. Sometimes that, those Venn diagrams, that Venn diagram is like a perfect fucking circle. Like those two circles, like the circle of who are the black sheep of their family and the circle of people who are breaking generational curses. Those two circles are overlapping on top of each other. They are one circle. Do you know what I mean? Because it feels like it's the same person oftentimes who's considered the black sheep, who's also considering themselves the breaker of generational curses. And I feel like the, I ha, okay, the concept of shifting toxic dynamics, doing things differently, looking at yourself as a point in, uh, like you're a point in a long line of lineage that, that, you know, began before you and will continue after you. I think looking at life that way is beautiful. And I think that the way that generational curses are spoken about, this idea of I am breaking generational curses with these actions I am taking as an individual, it just feels so, I don't know, like this westernized, Americanized concept of like spiritual liberation or something. Like it just feels so weird to me as a concept that I, in a singular fashion, am breaking generational curses as opposed to we are doing it. The way that it's spoken about is so singular. It's so individual and individualistic. It almost feels... I don't know, conceited? And... I think that there's this way that spirituality has become so individualized that I find sad and like detached from God in a particular way. I think that first of all, your relationship with God, if you believe in God or your relationship with the universe, your relationship with a higher power or higher powers, your relationship with energy, however you conceive of God or a supreme being or 
divinity, right? Our relationship with God is personal. And our, however we conceive of that is very personal. This is why when people get so, this is why when people get so judgmental and fucking ludicrous about how often you go to church or how often you praise God in a way that they can understand. It's so aggravating because your relationship with God is really quite personal and it's not about other people looking at you as you're doing it. It's a personal thing. Do you get? So yes, your relationship with God is very, very personal. At the same time, the concept of breaking a generational curse. One person does not make up a generation and one person did not create a curse. I mean, you have, we're talking, we're talking, we're not talking about a film where somebody cursed somebody. We're talking about sets of behaviors in a fucking family that are problematic and toxic. That's the generational curse we're talking about. And we're calling it generational because it's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. The concept of I am breaking generational curses by doing these things, me, individually. I will break a curse that has taken how many hundreds of years or how many generations to create. I find it to be weird. And it's not because there's anything wrong with the idea that I'm going to do something different. I'm going to, I am going to make sure that how I treat my family is different than what I experienced, the parts that I experienced in my family that I didn't like. I think taking that on within yourself to say, I care so much about my family. I am going to make it a point to shift these dynamics with the prayerful hope that the dynamics that I shift will remain shifted, will remain, you know, you know, shifted from, from toxic to healthy after me. I think that's beautiful. I just think the articulation of it in the, in, in, in the form of I am breaking generational curses just never made sense to me. It never made sense to me because it felt like truly, truly to shift the dynamics in a family. It is a collective choice. It is something that we need to do together. It is not something that can be done by yourself. You can have a huge impact on your family by yourself, yes. But if we're talking about, I want to shift the dynamics of how we interact, it's, it, I would hope that it would be collective. And you know, a lot of the times it's not. A lot of the times the people who walk away from their families and they don't go back, it's because they're the black sheep and they can't fix every motherfucking thing. They cannot correct every dysfunction. They cannot, you know, make uh, their grandmother, their mother, their father uninvite the toxic fucking abusive uncle. For some people, the person who's abusive is, are their parents. So you want to go home for Christmas and be facing your parents who abuse the fuck out of you and refuse to acknowledge it. So the cost of saying no to toxicity, a lot of times... Are those toxic people in your life? And once again, is that even a loss? And while no, it's not a lose, it's not a, like, no, it's not a loss to like kick an abuser out of your life, to X them out of your life, to cut them out of your life. No, just because you deserve a life that's free of abusers doesn't mean that it's not painful. It's not painful to make those choices. Do you know what I mean? And I think that 
a lot of the reason why people stay in abusive relationships, whether romantic relationships, whether um, familial relationships, whether friendships, is because they're, they're terrified of being alone. Well, well, you know, where am I going to go for the holidays? Do you know what I mean? What, like, who am I going to call when I need something? If you have a family where you can call people that you need, you know, if you have a family where you can call people when you need something, even if they are toxic, some families, you can't call them for shit. Some families, they're toxic, but you can still call them for shit. A lot of people stay rooted in fucked up family dynamics, romantic dynamics, friendship dynamics, because they're terrified of being alone. They're terrified truly of being that black sheep. They're like, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive? How am I going to, how am I going to walk through this world as a, without these people in my life, even if they've abused you, right? Because especially as a Nigerian, I think about this a lot, you know, as a Nigerian, family is so important. Like, no, you don't get it. <laughs> if you're not Nigerian, you know, go, you know, go cook understand what you're doing. Family. Hey, gods. It's so, 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 so important. It's so, 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 so important. It's beyond. You, you need to know where you're from. You need to know where your mom's from, where your dad's from, your mom's place, your dad's place, your family house. To know that, to know, uh, how go, how go talk, uh, how go explain this thing where I won't chat, make it answer. Family is everything. Family is a part of your life. Family is everywhere. Like, it's so ingrained deeply into your life. Like, your neighbors are involved in your life. Trust me, whether you like it or not. <laughs> privacy, to have privacy in Nigeria is a joke. You must pay for it. And even then, people will still be watching. Everybody is in your fucking business. People too like to talk. Too like to watch. You they walk and go, and they watch. They walk and come back, and they watch. Your family matters. For you to be a productive member of your family, for you to contribute to your family, for you to get married and have children, for you to do what is expected of you as a family member is critical and crucial. And if you don't meet up to those things, you are seen as a failure by your family often, especially as a girl, especially as a woman, especially as a girl, especially as a woman. There's this deep value and obligation that you have as a Nigerian to your family. You're meant to contribute to your family, take care of your family, be a part of your family. Like It's important to be deeply connected to where you're from. And it becomes very difficult to think about, well, how the fuck do I remain connected to where I'm from? How do I... How, how am I supposed to, quote unquote, perform this aspect of what it is to be a Nigerian specifically, which is we deeply value family? How can I how can I show up and be a part of my family happily when you know that? There's fucked up shit happening. This person is an abuser. Nobody fucking talks about it. Everybody is silent about it. And you know if you open your mouth and you bring that matter all the way out and you make people address it, 
it's still you that will be seen as the villain because, oh, why can't you let this go? Everyone can make a mistake. God says we should forgive. This is how religion becomes weaponized as a way to justify fucking abuse. They will be quoting the Bible to you about forgiveness. When you're talking about the depravity of fucking abuse, you want to talk to me about, about, about forgiveness, but you don't want to talk to the, the abuser about their depravity, about how horrible they are, about consequences, about accountability, about justice, about correction of their behavior. If you refuse to let it go, if you say what happened is wrong, this person, this family member violated this this person and it's not right, the chances of you losing your family are high. This is why people stay silent. Because everybody will gang up on the person who is saying that the abuse is wrong. And they will all be telling you that you need to forgive and forget. It's bullying. It happens a lot. Not just in Nigeria. I'm just speaking specifically about Nigeria. But not just in Nigeria. This is something that happens to abuse victims, survivors of abuse all over the world. Unfortunately. And so... When there's a lack of compassion for people who haven't left relationships that are abusive or dynamics that are abusive, I'm just like, do you people know how hard it is to leave an abusive situation? Do you know how much people punish people who open their mouth and tell the truth of their story of what they've survived? So many people have stayed within problematic dynamics in their family because ah, if you leave, which kind of family you go get? Where will you go? Where will you have support? How, how, how exactly are you going to be able to live and exist in the world? If you need help, if you need uh, uh, support with your school fees, if you, you know, you just want to go and lay on your mom's breast. <laughs> if you just want to go home. Eh? You can't. If you've made that choice to say the abuse that is occurring in this family, the toxicity that is here, I cannot stand for it. A lot of the reason why people tolerate bullshit year after year, abuse year after year, is because of the fear of being alone, because of the consequences of leaving, whether it's that they're in physical danger or or it's that they will be isolated from their family members or their friends or whoever if they speak the truth. So when people have no compassion about people who are staying in abusive dynamics, it's because you don't actually understand what it means to leave an abusive dynamic. You don't actually understand the consequences of of what, what occurs when you leave abusive dynamics. You don't understand how people punish you for leaving an abusive dynamic. There are people in your family who, if you leave an abusive marriage, they will blame you. They will blame you for fucking up the marriage because you, you couldn't sit there and tolerate the abuse. There are people who, if you leave a, 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 an abusive dynamic in your in your familial uh, in a familial context, they will say you're breaking up the family. They will say you don't love the family. They will put that on your head. They will guilt trip you. They will, you know, some people they will even exile you because of what you're saying and what you. Every time you, you're in, you're in a conversation, you will bring up, oh, this abuse, that abuse, this happened, this is wrong. We need to address this. The person who refuses to fucking go along with the motherfucking okie doke, the person who refuses to be about that bullshit, they get punished. They get set aside. They get insulted. They don't get invited to certain functions. They don't get those phone calls. They're not in the family group chat. There's consequences to speaking the truth. 
There's consequences to standing up to abusers. People will, there are people who will, you don't even know why they're, they're going so hard against you. They themselves are abusers. That's why they're defending abusers. There are a lot of people who you will wonder why they're so passionately giving you, well, what about this? What about this? Well, we don't really have evidence about that this abuse really occurred. There are people who are like that, whether you're family or friends or, or strangers. The reason why they want to, they want, they always want to find a, a poke a hole in a victim's story is because they know that they too have their own secrets. They too are an abuser and they don't want anything <laughs> to come out about them. They will be poking holes in, 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 in an abuser's, excuse me, they will be poking hole, holes in a victim's story because they too know that they are a fucking abuser. They can see it from the abuser's side because they are an abuser. They want you to give the benefit of the doubt to an abuser because if anything ever happens where their own bullshit comes out, they want you to give them that same benefit of the doubt. That is, people who defend abusers, oftentimes they themselves are fucking abusers. That is why they're so passionate about, well, we don't have all the evidence. Yeah, you are an abusive piece of shit. That's why it's hard for you to be compassionate to people who are survivors and victims. So I think people don't have a a, a clear understanding of the price to pay, the cost, what it means to stand up to abuse, how people punish you again and again for standing up to abuse. Do you know that there are other, sometimes if you're the person that opens your mouth and says that what happened is fucked up, this that's happening in, in our family, it's fucked up and it's abusive and it's toxic. There are other people who are also survivors of that same abuse who will come up to that person who's speaking up and say, I beg, shut up. They will even begin to tell you stories of what they've survived that they feel is worse than what you've gone through. To say, ah, me who's gone through, who's gone through worse, do you see me complaining? That is their, their reasoning. Their reasoning is they went through a miserable existence. They too are survivors of bullshit. Why can't you shut up and take it like they did? This is how people really fucking respond to, to the quote unquote black sheep of the family who stand up for what is right. I don't, I don't know. I don't have any answers. I mean, I don't know. All I can say is that we need to support survivors more. We need to support victims more. We need to be more compassionate. We can't just act like it's fucking easy. You know how hard it is to see abuse and talk about it, whether it impacts you or somebody else? You know how hard it is to be the person to to stand up in your family to say, no, this must end? You know how hard it is to be that person who says, you talk to me in a fucked up way. I'm going to talk to you differently. I'm going to try something more healthy because this dynamic of shouting every five seconds is not healthy. It's very difficult to be that person. You will get the people who think that you, you think you're too good for everything. Oh, you want to be different. Who are you? I don't know that I don't I don't know if one person I, I don't know if one person can break a generational curse. I think one person can have a huge impact. I think that think that we need to work together more you know so much of so much of what happens with abuse is the isolation of people the isolation of people who stand up for what's right you know and that's deliberate victims are isolated so that people who are watching know eh, don't you think you should even don't you dare think you should talk you see how we're treating that one don't you think you should talk that's the energy that's why victims are put through all this bullshit They're put through hell so that anyone watching who has a story to tell, let them, let the fear keep them quiet.
it takes so much strength to tell your story. It takes so much strength to make choices to walk away from abuse. It takes strength to walk away from an abusive family. It takes a lot of strength. And we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the price that that, the toll that that takes on somebody. We don't talk about the toll that that takes on somebody over the course of your life. Do you know what I mean? It's not free. <laughs> it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you to walk away from abuse. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you some things that maybe you don't need. Like fucked up relationships. But sometimes it even costs you relationships that you really wanted to keep. You know what I mean? Because let's say your grandma is in the house living with an abusive uncle. You say you don't want to be in the same space as the uncle because he's an abuser. Right? So you don't go to that house for Christmas. But because you don't go to that house for Christmas and that's where your grandma lives, you also don't see your grandma. That's a that's a price that you have to pay. Right? If you're saying, I can't deal with this abuse. This is what I'm saying is that this is why a lot of people stay inside dynamics that are fucked up for years and years and years. Because to them, the price, the cost of leaving is too high. The amount of loneliness you will be facing when you walk away from an abusive family because, yes, it's toxic. This person is toxic. This person is abusive. This person is sometimes is violent. All of that shit can be true. But you will be still sitting there eh, on Christmas Day wondering, what am I doing today? So I understand why people stay inside dynamics. They don't want to be lonely. Maybe they're scared. They don't have a support system to leave. And it's also expensive. It can be expensive to leave an abusive dynamic. And also money. You think it's easy to leave an abusive dynamic? Is it free? If you're living somewhere with somebody who's abusive, you have to now get a new place. Is it free to rent a new place? Do you just tell them that you're a survivor of abuse and they allow you to move in for free? It costs money. Because you now have to start a new life. A lot of times when you're leaving abuse, you have to start a new life. Maybe not your whole life. It depends on the situation. Some people, they have to start a whole new life. They get a new place. They get a new job. They might move out of the city that they're in, the state or the country, to get away from whoever. Some people, they don't need to do all that or they don't choose to do all that, but they need to move to a new space. Ah, moving is not easy. Do you have your deposit, your security? Do you have your first month rent? Do you have furniture? Do you have, do you know what I mean? And is it safe for you to get out of that place that you're in? I just, I would love for us to have more support for people who are going through these things. And I would love for there to be more consequences for, for fucking abusers so that we can begin to do prevention. <laughs> prevention. It just feels like so much of the issue is like, oh, this happened. What's the reaction? Okay, this person was abused. Well, what's going to happen? This person was abused. What's the reaction? Where is the prevention? Where is the prevention? How can we prevent abuse from occurring? How can we make sure that abuse that occurs in a family. The person that should be the black sheep, honestly. <laughs> the person that stood up for the truth shouldn't be the black sheep. I mean, ugh, I beg, the concept of a black sheep, I don't even know what to say anymore. Sometimes I feel like I like it. Sometimes I feel like I don't. It just depends on how I'm looking at that phrase, you know, at that, at that particular moment. But the person that's ostracized shouldn't be the person speaking up about abuse. It should be the abuser. And I don't know what this, what the solution is. The only, the only thing I can say is if you see abuse in your area, you better speak up. If it happens in your family, you better speak up. 
You better be somebody who doesn't allow somebody else to be ostracized because they spoke the truth. Because these types of things aren't going to change just by thinking, oh, that's so unfortunate that that person spoke the truth and now they don't have a family. Or, and now they had to leave their family for their own emotional, physical, spiritual, financial fucking safety. They had to leave the abusive situation. It shouldn't be like that. The person that has to leave should be the abuser. So those are some of my thoughts and feelings. <laughs> those are some of my thoughts and feelings. I, man, I would love it if, you know, people were to get together in their families and to say, yeah, I don't like this dynamic in, this dynamic in our family. We are breaking this generational curse. I think that the concept of thinking that one person can break a generational curse is, I think the concept of thinking that one person can break a generational curse is a manifestation of this individualistic way that spirituality in this quote unquote new age has been conceived of. Do you know what I mean? This idea that I can do it, you know, it's just like, or I am doing it. And the thing is that I think a lot of the people who say that they're breaking generational curses, it's not, I don't think that they have a fucked up intention. I think that a lot of them have beautiful intentions. There's just something about that sentence or that phrase that makes me feel like the communal collective hold hands. How can I say this? The, the communal collective aspect of spirituality is lost on some people that I feel we're supposed to hold hands metaphorically, literally to shift what we need to shift. We're supposed to pull our power because that's when we're the strongest. And I feel like we've been so separated from our own essence and our own communities and our own spiritual practices, that that which is supposed to be collective has become individual. And we don't see that there's anything wrong with that. Part of it has to do with our lives and everybody trying to make money and capitalism ruling so many things and, you know, money, 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 money. And, you know, everything costs so much. Now food costs more. Rents has gone up. Petrol is expensive as fuck. People barely have time to check in with themselves, let alone check in with each other. So there are things that we're doing spiritually and emotionally alone that I think we were built to do together. And like I said, your relationship with God, the most high supreme beings is personal. So whatever, you, however you express yourself in those realms has to be personal. It can't just be collective every five seconds, collective, collective, collective. No. There is a part of you, there is, you have your personal connection to the, to, 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 to the most high. And there's a lot of collectivity when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to emotions that we're losing because of where we are right now in the world. Everything is like centered around technology. Everything is centered around being so fast. Everything is centered around making money. Everything is centered around the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. I feel as if we're losing some of the collectivity that actually strengthens, 
strengthens us, which is, and I, and I, and I think that part of, like a symptom of that, a symptom of that is I am breaking generational curses. That phrase, that understanding, that that I in that sentence is doing the breaking singular, like in a singular fashion, individually, you are breaking generational curses. To me, seems so antithetical to who we are as people. We are meant to be collective. And while what you do individually can have a huge impact, there is something to be said about what is needed collectively when it comes to healing, when it comes to healing families, healing emotional dynamics, um, when it comes to addressing the correction of, of a course that is toxic. That is what breaking a generational curse is about, right? The correction of a course or courses that is toxic. Shifting our fucking GPS. Like, no, we're not going to take this route anymore. I want us to do that collectively. There is individual work to be done. Yes, when it comes to shifting generational dynamics that are toxic. And I also want us to do these things collectively. I don't know what that means. I'm just saying that's what I want. I don't want it to be on one person in a fucking family to be the quote unquote healthy one, to be the quote unquote breaker of fucking generational curses. Isn't that stressful? Isn't that a lot of work? Wouldn't it be easier if we did it together? So many people are so ready to just keep doing what the fuck they've been doing, to just keep the fucking shit going the way it's been going. Rather than to sit down and say, why do we talk to each other like this in this family? I would love for people to really, really address abuse when it comes up in their families in a real way, in a real way, to make sure that the abuser is held accountable. To make sure that ah, an abuser has no business coming to, to Christmas dinner, coming to Easter dinner, coming to birthday parties. They have no business. They need to be isolated. If they can, if they can be helped, great. Put them in therapy or somehow get them, <laughs> get them the support and the help that they need to no longer be a piece of shit fucking abuser. If it's possible to help them, help them. If it's not possible to help them, then they need to be punished and ostracized from the family. Because when you when abusers begin to see that this is how abusers are treated, then you will see a fucking sharp decline in abuse. Because the reason why abuse happens and it keeps happening is because there's no fucking consequences. There's no consequences. You don't even really have to say sorry. You can just honestly just do nothing. Everybody will be jumping to to, to people's to, to abusers fucking defense. It's true, honestly. People are abu- People are accused of, of abuse so much, and sometimes before that abuser can even say anything, you have all these people who are already giving you excuses as to why that's not what happened. They're already questioning the victim. They already have a million reasons as to why it's a lie. Why is that the default? Why is the default to make a victim, to put a victim on trial? So these are some of my thoughts and feelings. <laughs> these are some of my thoughts and feelings. Um, the songs that are on my mind about this, because I was thinking about, man, what songs, what songs make sense to me? 
you know, what songs make sense to me as I talk about and think about this. And the songs that really, the songs that really speak to me, I would say Divine by Rema. That song always gets me right. You know, it's just like, it's like my, my heart. How can I say this? There's some songs that it feels like it's preparing you for something greater than that moment. Do you understand? Like some songs, it just gives you that energy of like, it's, it's, it's speaking to a greatness inside of you. It's like inspiring you to go to a place that you forgot was in you. It's inspiring you to think about stories that you have that are yours, that inspire you greater than you realized. Um, it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. So Divine by Rema, Wait by Angel Hayes. You know, I love Wait because, God, Angel Hayes is such a fucking a lyricist that... <laughs> Angel be rapping. Angel be rapping for real. That's all I can say. Like, Wait, I feel like, is that song that reminds me of my greatness. You know, I know, I feel like I said some, something similar about Divine by Rema, but Wait is... Okay, so like Divine, I don't want to say, I don't want to give it away, but let me just say this part. I, it feels so much like a beginning, because he's talking about his birth story in like the story of his birth, right? He's talking about the story of his birth in that song. So it's very much like, it's just that the beauty of birth, right? The beauty, like him, you know, what I think it's so interesting is like, I don't know that there are that many artists that have told the story of their birth in a way that gives you that feeling of like, damn, <laughs> I feel like I'm watching Rocky, like climb up the fucking, like jog up those stairs in Philly. Like that's the fucking, was that in Philly? That was in Philly, right? That Rocky was jogging. Oh, uh, I feel like I've seen Rocky jogging up those stairs, like, you know, preparing for the match. Um, that's what divine, that's the feeling that it gives me. Weight is like, if you've ever been through something that you, thought was gonna kill you like dead ass you thought like bro this is the end for me like like oh my god wait is that song that i feel like resurrects you <laughs> it's just like the energy that angel put into that track is so much like you can't fucking kill me do you know what i mean it's like that energy of resurrection that energy of the phoenix that energy of i can do anything and all things you know <laughs> through the most high who strengthens me like it's just it's such a song of belief in self and um i feel like it's something to listen to for sure if you've ever had a moment of like i don't know how to go on I don't know how to move on. I don't know how to move forward. I don't know how to get past this pain. I don't know how to heal from this. Wait, I feel like is that song that was like, you go cradle you. <laughs> like that song will cradle you for like inside its arms. Like say, now your mama. That song is like, no, I want you to remember that you actually are that bitch. You actually are the realest motherfucker. You are the baddest bitch to ever bad bitch. You know what I mean? That's what weight gives you, I feel. So I love that song. And the other song I want to say um, is Get Up. Get Up 10. 
by Cardi B, which she sampled Dreams and Nightmares by Meek Mill. She didn't sample any of his like lyrical content, really. It's just um, the, the beat. It's excellent. That's the type of shit that you listen to to get yourself hype. You know what I mean? To remember who you are and to get yourself hype. You know what I mean? Like every single dream that I ever had, every single dream that I ever had, it's coming true. You know, get up 10 is like, I'm never giving up. You know, I'm never, ever giving up. I'm always going to keep going. I'm going to keep going until I get what I came for. You know, like I love get up 10. That's like the get your mind right type vibe, you know? Um, so those are the songs that are on my mind. And that's definitely going to be added to um, the Nigerian Diagnosis mixtape on Spotify. And the link to that is in the description of this podcast episode.